Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to Real Paranormal Activity, the network. Entertainment you'll enjoy. You are listening to an RPA production, where people gather. Foss Corporation, LLC. Welcome once again to the mansion on the hill, the house of strange, the palace of mystery. This is the home of Terry's mysterious moments. This is season five. We thank you for listening to the show. Well, hello everybody. This is Terry from Texas with season five's last episode of Terry's Mysterious Moments. Let's get on with the stories, shall we? At this moment, Texas is under siege. I'm sure some of the other parts of the country are too. But it's not by any human armed force, but by a force of nature, winter weather. It's not as bad as 2021's brutal and destructive weather though, but bothersome enough. At the time of this writing, The thermometer is showing a balmy 28 degrees with a nice wind chill factor of feels like 18. I realize there are those of you who are existing under much colder temps and much more snow and ice. I walked out this morning and my porch had a little bit, little bit of ice on it. There was not much ice out there. Much of the business of the city, though, is shut down because of the icy highways and the fear of what happens on those highways. And the roadways, when open, host only the diehards who have to get to work. And those daring ditwads, they are always with us, who go out with intent of trying to get on the 6 o'clock news by performing a twisted version of an automotive ballet on ice. Of course, it's said, and it's a joke, but it's a widespread joke, that you could spill a cup of ice on the roadway here in Texas and everything will shut down. I've seen my neighbors making eight-foot-tall snowmen from just three snowflakes. Because, you know, everything is bigger here in Texas, even the exaggerations. 
I would like to present a couple of linked stories this week, and they're linked to each other, not just in subject, but by way of history, regarding the brutally destructive ability that weather has to shape, change, and even bring our society to its knees. The first story I labeled Great White Hell, Part 1. The schoolhouse blizzard, also known as the school children's blizzard or children's blizzard, take your pick, hit the U.S. Plains states on January 12th of 1888, 133 years ago. The blizzard came unexpectedly on a relatively warm day, and many people were caught unaware, including children in one-room schoolhouses. The blizzard was preceded by a snowstorm on January 6th through January 11th, which dropped snow on the northern and central plains and was followed by an outbreak of brutal cold from January 7th to the 11th of that year. The weather prediction for the day was issued by the Weather Bureau, and we know how well they work, which at the time was managed by Adolphus Greeley. It said, A cold wave is indicated for Dakota and Nebraska tonight and tomorrow. The snow will drift heavily today and tomorrow in Dakota, Nebraska, Minnesota, and Wisconsin. And that's how understated it was. On January 11th, a strengthening surface low dropped south southeastward out of Alberta, Canada, into central Montana, and then into northeastern Colorado by the morning of January 12th. The temperatures in advance of the low increased some 20 to 40 degrees in the central plains. For example, Omaha, Nebraska recorded a temperature of minus 6 Fahrenheit at 7 a.m. on January 11th, while the temperature had increased to 28 degrees Fahrenheit by 7 a.m. on January 12th. That's a, a good 34 degree swing, those things. The strong surface low rapidly moved into southeastern Nebraska by 3 p.m. on January 12th, and finally into southwestern Wisconsin by 11 p.m. that same day. On January 11th, the massive cold air mass that had formed around January 8th around Medicine Hat, Alberta, and Quapel, Saskatchewan, had reached a spread of over 780 miles. The blizzard was precipitated by the collision of an immense Arctic cold front with warm temperature-laden air from the Gulf of Mexico. Now I'm beginning to sound like a weatherman now, aren't I? Within a few hours, the advancing cold front caused a temperature drop from a few degrees above freezing to minus 20 degrees Fahrenheit and minus 40 degrees Fahrenheit in some places. This wave of cold was accompanied by high winds and heavy snow. The fast-moving storm first struck Montana in the early hours of January 12th and swept down through Dakota Territory from mid-morning to early afternoon and reached Lincoln, Nebraska at 3 p.m. 
many who were caught unaware, misjudged the weather due to a warm spell. Carl Salty, a teenage Norwegian immigrant in Fortier, Minnesota, remembered that on the 12th of January, 1888, around noontime, it was so warm it melted snow and ice from the window until after 1 p.m. This changed rapidly for the teenager, who continued that by 3.30 p.m., a dark and heavy wall builded up around the northwest and was coming fast, coming like those heavy thunderstorms, like a shot. In a few moments, we had the severest snowstorm I ever saw in my life, with a terrible hard wind, like a hurricane, snow so thick we could not see more than three steps from the door at times. The Boston Daily Advertiser reported under the headline Midnight at Noon that at Fargo, Mercury was 47 below zero and a hurricane blowing and at Nash, Dakota, the thermometer is at 58 below zero. What made the storm so deadly was the timing it came during work and school hours. The suddenness of the storm and the brief spell of the warmer weather that preceded it. In addition, the very strong wind fields behind the cold front and the powdery nature of the snow reduced visibilities on the open plains to zero. People ventured from the safety of their homes to do chores, to go to town, to attend school, or simply enjoy the relative warmth of the day. As a result, thousands of people, including many school children, got caught in the blizzard. The death toll was 235. Teachers generally kept children in their schoolrooms. Exceptions nearly always resulted in disaster. Travel was severely impeded in the days following, as one might expect. It's not like they had snow plows yet. Two months later, yet another severe blizzard hit the East Coast states, which we'll talk about in a bit. This blizzard was known as the Great Blizzard of 1888. It severely affected the East Coast in states like New York and Massachusetts. Stories from the storm. Plainview, Nebraska. Louise Royce found herself trapped with three of her students in her schoolhouse. By 3 p.m., they had run out of heating fuel. Her boarding house was only 82 yards away, so she attempted to lead the children there. However, visibility was so poor, they became lost in the children, two nine-year-old boys and a six-year-old girl, froze to death. The teacher survived, but her feet were frostbitten and had to be amputated. In Seward County, Nebraska, Etta Shattuck, a 19-year-old school teacher, got lost on her way home and sought shelter in a haystack. She remained trapped there until her rescue 78 hours later by Daniel D. Murphy and his hired men. She died on February 6th around 9 a.m. due to complications from surgery to remove her frostbitten feet and legs. Near Ziona, South Dakota, the children were rescued. Two men tied a rope to the closest house and headed for the school. There, 
They tied off the other end of the rope and then led children to safety. In Mira Valley, Nebraska, Minnie Freeman safely led 13 children from her schoolhouse to her home one and a half miles away. The rumor that she had used a rope to keep the children together during the blinding storm is widely circulated, but one the children claimed was not true. All of her pupils survived. That year, Song of the Great Blizzard, 13 were saved, or Nebraska's Fearless Maid, was written and recorded in her honor by William Vincent and published by Lyon and Healy. In 1967, a Venetian glass mural of the schoolhouse blizzard of 1888 by Jean Reynal was installed on the west wall of the North Bay in the Nebraska State Capitol in Lincoln. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Nebraska, for the 1967 Centennial Celebration. The mural, in a semi-abstract style, portrays a purported incident in which a schoolteacher, Minnie Freeman, had tied her children together with the clothesline and led them through the storm to safety. Ted Couser, Nebraska poet, has recorded many of the stories of the schoolhouse blizzard in his book of poetry, The Blizzard Voices. Ron Hansen, a Nebraska-born author, follows the experience of the blizzard from a variety of perspectives in his short story, Wickedness, featured in the collections Nebraska and She Loves Me Not. A 36-year-old Scottish immigrant farmer, James Jackson, just outside of Woodstock, Minnesota, discovered his cattle herd frozen to death in a 10-mile stretch. Newspaper man Charles Morse, founder of the Lake Benton News, recounted that my sleeping quarters were on the second floor leading off a hallway at the head of the stairs. On arriving home, I found the wind had forced open the door and the stairway was packed with snow. And when I reached my room, I found my bed covered with several inches of snow, which had filtered over the threshold and through my keyhole. Pioneers William and Kate Campin, who lived in a small sod house in Marion, South Dakota Territory, were caught ill-prepared for such a blizzard. They had run out of coal for their fire, so William was forced to leave for the town of Parker, South Dakota, some 23 miles away, to buy more coal and supplies. He took two of his horses with him. While William was gone, 19-year-old Kate gave birth alone to their first son, Henry Royal Campin, on January 8th of 1888. While in town, the blizzard hit and several of William's friends tried to persuade him to stay in town, but he knew he had to get back home to Kate 
not knowing she had given birth to their son. The storm was severe and raged on as he tried to make his way back home. He stayed with his horses, but eventually both of them died because the wind was so strong that both of the horses suffocated. William was able to find a barn with pigs in it, so he crawled in with them to try to keep warm. Meanwhile, Kate kept herself and the baby warm by staying in bed. William finally made it back home to Kate and the baby after spending three days and nights out on the prairie alone. Lauren Tarshish published a book in February of 2018 about the children's blizzard in her I Survived book series, focusing on a character under the name of John. In the 1940s, a group organized the Greater Nebraska Blizzard Club to write a book about the storm. The resulting book, In All Its Fury, a history of the blizzard of January 12, 1888, with stories and reminiscences, was edited by W.H. O'Gara. Many of these states, which we know now as states, were still territories at the time, such as South Dakota was a territory, North Dakota was a territory, Nebraska, Kansas, and Minnesota were states, and Montana, Wyoming, and Idaho were all territories. I had heard the story of this blizzard before, and what struck me was the fact that so many cattle died almost instantly. This thing came in so fast. That must have been really frightening for the farmers and for the ranchers. Even people in town would have been frightening for them. Story number two is Great White Hell Part Two. The Great Blizzard of 1888, the Great Blizzard of 88, or the Great White Hurricane happened between March 11th and 14th of 1888. This was the second, what I believe, was the second part of the storm system from January that took the Midwest. This was one of the most severe recorded blizzards in American history. The storm paralyzed the east coast from the Chesapeake Bay to Maine, as well as the Atlantic provinces of Canada. Snow fell from 10 to 58 inches in parts of New Jersey. Now I'm five foot nine, that's 69 inches. So that means that basically my head and shoulders might have been above the snow. Maybe. That snow fell from 10 to 58 inches in parts of New Jersey, New York, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, and Connecticut, and sustained winds of more than 45 miles per hour produced snow drifts in excess of 50 feet. Railroads were shut down and people were confined to their homes for up to a week. Railway and telegraph lines were disabled, and this provided the impetus to move these pieces of infrastructure underground. Emergency services were also affected. As previous, the weather had been unseasonably mild just before the blizzard, with heavy rains that turned to snow as temperatures began to drop rapidly. The storm began in earnest shortly after midnight on March 12th 
and continued unabated for a full day and a half. In a 2007 article, the National Weather Service estimated that this nor'easter dumped as much as 50 inches of snow in parts of Connecticut and Massachusetts, while parts of New Jersey and New York had up to 40 inches. Most of northern Vermont received only from 20 to 30 inches, lucky them. Drifts averaged 30 to 40 feet over the tops of houses from New York to New England, with reports of drifts covering some three-story houses. The highest drift was recorded in Gravesend, Brooklyn at 52 feet. 52 feet, that's almost 10 times my height. Almost 10 times my height. 58 inches of snow fell in Saratoga Springs, New York. 48 inches in Albany, New York. 45 inches in New Haven, Connecticut. And 22 inches in New York City. Again, lucky them. The storm also produced severe winds. 80 miles per hour wind gusts were reported. Although the highest official report in New York City was 40 miles per hour with a 54 mile per hour gust reported at Block Island. New York's Central Park Observatory reported a minimum temperature of 6 degrees Fahrenheit and a daytime average of 9 degrees Fahrenheit on March 13th, the coldest ever for March. In New York, neither rail nor road transport was possible anywhere for days and drifts across the New York-New Haven rail line at Westport, Connecticut took eight days to clear. Transportation gridlock as a result of the storm was partially responsible for the creation of the first underground subway system in the United States, which opened nine years later in Boston. The New York Stock Exchange was closed for two days. Similarly, telegraph infrastructure was disabled isolating Montreal and most of the large northeastern U.S. cities from Washington, D.C. to Boston for days. Following the storm, New York began placing its telegraph and telephone infrastructure underground to prevent their destruction. Fire stations were immobilized and property lost from fire alone. You wouldn't think of, a, of fires happening in uh, blizzards, but I guess that would be the best time. Wind blowing down the chimneys might blow sparks out into the living rooms or bedrooms or wherever. Property loss from fire alone was estimated at $25 million, and in 2022 money, that would be $720 million. The blizzard resulted in the founding of the Chrisman Bird and Wildlife Sanctuary located near Dellinson, New York. Odd thing to come out of it. From Chesapeake Bay through the New England area, more than 200 ships were either grounded or wrecked, resulting in the deaths of at least 100 seamen. More than 400 people died from the storm and the ensuing cold, including 200 in New York City alone. Efforts were made to push the snow into the Atlantic Ocean. Severe flooding occurred after the storm due to melting snow, especially in the Brooklyn area, which was susceptible to flooding because of its topography. Not all areas were notably affected by the blizzard of 1888, though, 
An article in the Cambridge Press, published five days after the storm, noted that the fall of snow in this vicinity was comparatively small, and had it not been accompanied by a strong wind, it would have been regarded as rather trifling in amount, the total depth on a level not exceeding 10 inches. On October 1st of 1888, an article appeared in the first issue of the National Geographic magazine about the Great Blizzard. It was written by Edward Everett Hayden and described the blizzard and the courageous and successful struggle told by boatkeeper Robert Robinson of the crew from the pilot boat Charles H. Marshall, number three. Yes, weather is one of the many forces of nature that we as humans are confronted with. There are earthquakes, wildfires, avalanches, landslides, floods, tsunamis, hurricanes, tornadoes, cyclones, sinkholes. They all cause an inestimable loss of property and material, but they also cause much damage in human lives lost, pulling apart families, separating children from their parents, siblings from siblings, pets from masters. Homes are damaged, some are destroyed on site, others simply cease to exist. Memories are lost, possessions are taken. Well, that's the show for this week. Thanks for being along for the ride. I want to remind you that on Mondays, Aaron Hunter brings you Real Paranormal Activity, the podcast. Aaron reads listener stories, mostly ghost stories, sometimes UFOs, sometimes cryptids. On Tuesday, Aaron Frail brings you Aaron's Horror Show, different things that he's written. He reviews movies, books, things like that. On Wednesday, it's me, Terry from Texas, with Terry's Mysterious Moments, where we talk about just about anything there is to talk about. Aaron has instituted a new area called Entertaining Short Films. That's exactly what they are. They're just short stories, nothing in particular, no particular genre, just entertaining. Remember that you can go to your app store, whether you have Apple or Android, download the RPA app, which is a black square with a blue eye in the middle of it. Download that to the device that you listen to the program on. Install it, and when you open that up, you can go straight to the Real Paranormal Activity, the podcast, and its network. So all the all the stories that are involved with RPA are there, so you don't have to go hunting for them. If you want to contact me at Terry's Mysterious Moments, you can do that on the Facebook page, and it's called Terry's Mysterious Moments. Or you can email me at Terry's Mysterious Moments at gmail.com. Contact me if you want to. Let's talk about some things. That's about it. We'll be back again. Listen to the other shows. Have a good week, everybody.